0: death of English kings. Today we're exploring that and its true meaning and the symbolism of the funeral. Last week, Jack Bernal Williams, the King's Guard and one of the Queen's polebearers passed away at age 18. So I wanted to dedicate this to Jack, true Englishman and a noble Chad. God speed him to heaven and may his family know how much he honoured us and honoured England, enacting his duty. Thank you, Jack. Backward goes our gaze, though, to St. George's Chapel, Windsor, the Queen's funerals ending. As the coffin sinks into the abyss of the royal crypt, something seems to rise, drawn by the Scots Piper as he walks away from us out of the chapel. His fading solemn notes lead her, they are her, drawing faint, out and up, leaving the bleak on their final journey. The Queen is dead, gone the grandmotherly. God speed her to heaven, we remain in the silence without, within something holds fast. Backward goes our gaze again, to Holyrood Palace in Scotland, the king approaches the estate and the moment he enters Holyrood's gate an uncanny northern wind throws downward on Edinburgh's exposed hilltop and ripples across the waiting Scots guards, feathered caps. These soldiers stands sentinel as the last watch of her first rest tribal warriors guarding the henkin's dwelling but what is this strange wind or more who wind is a very old english word for our ancestors it revealed truths about being the gods and themselves truths that still touch how we see today wind means spirit not gas not weather not static substance wind only is in action through winding his spirit's form reveals. Even now the word carries that echo. Even now storms and wind cut beneath our antiseptic ontology and offer a thread to the numinous. Now we come to the king again. He escorts the coffin out of holy Rood in an uncanny silence. There's no trumpets, no idiot BBC commentator, no marching band. Just wind and the solemn march steps of a tribe in the escort of their dead. It's dwelling with this silence, though, that speaks most loudly. And we just listen and let it. No idle, oozing mind chatter, no propositions. We simply let it unfold to us in its being, unpolluted by metaphysics. Listen to it. We won't hold on that. We'll continue here as we go through and look at these things. This overwind, though, disembodied, somehow searches for somewhere to gather. It seems to drive and beckon the king in waiting. But does he hear its call? We notice, you should notice here, that the king carries a scepter. At its top, a horseman cast in gold. And as this kin march reaches the end of Holyrood's consecrated land, suddenly this golden burst of light rips forth from the scepter. Symbolic. Is it a beacon for this strange uncanny wind? What does it hold fast outside holy ground? And then forward goes our gaze again. Eight pole bearers, Grenadier Kingsguard, have rushed home from active duty in Iraq to Westminster today. They down fatigues and they've donned their true colors. Red coats spun of Yorkshire wool made by English hands. And now they guard and guide the queen to her final rest. These chads are my heroes of the ceremony. The best of the best of the queen's own regimen. There's no diversity quotas here. It would be deadly to drop this coffin, to have these sacred symbols touch the ground and diminish their power. And these chads, they nobly bear that gravity. We see in their tense, wide-eyed, stony faces though, this absolute, unyielding will that can only be impelled by a people's sacred. This force to duty is holy. It's the thing that makes it matter to them, that drives them, that leads them to unyielding this. It's this, it's sacred England herself. As they lift the coffin and link arms to brace it, they seem to move as one being, or rather it moves them. They are the monarch in this moment. A simple man, fighting man, strong man, possessed in every corner of their being to bear the locus of the people's spirit safely on their back. These are your Englishmen, these chads, you who are listening to this video, watching. These are our Englishmen. They are who this ritual is and is for, you. And this is the symbol of the whole ritual, this linking organism. It shows us the form of an organism, somehow an aspect of this overwind. What is it, though, this overwind? Or rather, who is it? Now we return to our English chads as they mount the stairs to Westminster Abbey for the state funeral led by their major. They enact their duty with a deep authenticity. There's no media training, no false persona. They're not putting on a show. As they enter the cathedral right, their wide-eyed concentration seems to yield to the divine voices of the heavenly choir as it hits them, especially with the major subtle awe fills the Major's gaze as he walks into the cathedral and guides the lads loyally forth the sacred of all this reveals itself in in their faces in this guy's face it's a grace in the service of authentic purpose and that's why i really love these guys because they are there simply to do their duty they know the eyes of the, the people are on their backs they know that this is the sole, most important responsibility of all of this. Is what these guys are doing, and we feel the gravity of it when we look at them. We feel it. Look at the sweat beading up down there, down there, um, down their faces. Their red faces. Look past all the other things that might distract you of the of the people, the, the royals, whatever, the mortals. This, these guys, and their unyielding will and the power that's impe- impelling them is this organism. But I digress and forward goes our gaze again, the Queen's coffins lowered onto a gun carriage outside, the same that Victoria had, and it's pulled by the combined force of a unit of Navy, arm-in-arm, which again is another metaphor for this organism you see. As the Grenadier pole-bearers move out and the Navy open, and they're all holding these leashes, like you would, would normally have a horse, and so appropriate that it became the navy that did it, not horses, because it shows you it's like they're wearing the monarch on their back. They're also surrounding the monarch, and the royals are behind it, the mortal royals are behind it, so it kind of shows you that this thing, unit, it's our possession. So why is this gun carriage significant, this mount that aims and projects human force? A cannon signifies the most powerful of armed weapons. Though it's not fundamentally different from a longbow, it's made of cognition, it's made of earth, ordered into form. But what is it to aim? The first human aim were what our hunt is. It's a basic cognitive act to project and to throw your being into the future, to choose a target, an end goal, or a way. Hunter, target, projectile are microcosms of human temporality and teleology. The leader of a hunt is the meta-hunter. He projects that aim out further for the entire tribe and is rewarded for this heroic skill. The monarch is appropriately placed on a gun carriage because they are the Ark Meta Hunter. They are the locality of the cognitive act of firing the arrow of a people, of restating its ways of firing. To speak a vision and direct a purpose is to fire the arrow of English being into the future. That's what it means. And it's these silences that really are important. We hear the thump of a cannon in the distance. Ceremonial artillery crews are clanging shells out of smoking cannon and thrusting in reloads. The cannons mark the mortal hour. What does this mean? An explosion is the mightiest sound man can make, the mightiest wind he can manifest as an extension of his being. And isn't all man's being manifest by an on wind? Like we talked about the meaning of wind before. Not thinking about it like chemistry, but isn't it all? Is a man's being open by wind. Your voice travels on wind. Doesn't our speaking ride across it to open our knowing world to one another? This wind, then, is the mediator of our being. And the cannon thump is a waystone-marking English being. Something is held, something is beckoned in it. It functions to stamp what matters to this tribe. To point at value. Purpose to hold us from anarchy, holding the silence, holding the void while we wait for this overwind to gather. This wind again, it keeps returning throughout all of this, thump. The cannons mark each year of the monarch's reign. Heartbeats of mortal time, ticking clock of English epoch. Time isn't external to us, it is within and manifested by being. It is marked and drawn by beings happening. This is true time and cognition, in the cognition of a people. Not some low, Eisensteinian computation, Scientology soothsaying for calculator watch-wearing, robots seeking material ends, using the exactly and exact unbeing of vibrating quartz crystals, object-oriented nonsense of (laughs) techno-priests. Forward goes our gaze. The procession snakes its way out of the modernist London, back to where it was born. Where it belongs, in green Windsor, we see the spirit returning home. The countryside is an extension of the temple it is a kind of english temple and nothing could be more appropriate than this It's separated off from wilderness very early on when we killed the wolves you see it in the church itself you see it in the green man that's on the outside of church this is an extension into the land not nature countryside given form by england spirit given form by english men the dwelling place this green, this temple, is a holdout, wherever monarchical tradition holds sway, and you can see this, where modernist London is creeping up and rising up around this greenness, which is Buckingham Palace, and see see it as an organism, as they've got this techno machine, which is growing, and they've got this holdout in Buckingham Palace, and as we come around it, we see another symbol shows you an organism in action, resisting. And now we see the coffin making its way up the mile-long road to Windsor. And we notice this cascading sway. Does it not look like an organism? This English organism? This is kind of like the procession of the priest in a church that goes up down the aisle and up the middle of the people. This is a dwelling of the people in the being of the people. But what is it? Or rather, who is it? nothing in this funeral march is utilitarian these uniforms take months to make many of them are already old continuously repaired carefully made and maintained by english hands and sweat the brass is english brass the steel is english steel cast in birmingham the embroidery is english embroidery sewn in the west end the feathers of the caps are from somerset in wessex alfred's homeland the procession itself is encased in a physical physical actual england that encapsulates the spirit it's underneath. Like their bodies, bread and English air. And English soil. English equipment. English man and English being. Here. Not made in China. These costumes are not props, they're ritual equipment. And ritual equipment is also kind of like art, has a working embedded in it. When you examine this stuff, that work discloses it's like a spring. It, it contains procedural knowledge within it. It's fitted to a particular human pattern of action, which means it has the ritual itself enfolded into it, the way of being enfolded into it. If someone wears a suit, it alters the world of the person that looks at him. It's speaking a way of being, it's asserting it, it as an action, not just, oh, words mean nothing. No, it's speaking, it's a doing. And you treat him better because of it. If he's dressed like a thug, he's acting like a thug in the dressing. The equipment has the way of being. Your cognition sees the way of a thug, despite the wishes of your ego mind. It's beneath the surface of that. So England's way of being has been communicated through these equipment and the ritual. Even if you don't realize it, you, you feel it, and it's attunement anyway. Any nature, humans organize in order, contains the being of humans, externalized in the world building, text, costume, this is also cognition. Cognition is in these things. And when you do your little experiment and you tap the wood table and say, oh, see, here's reality. That's reality, not in my mind. That's objective nature. I'm just the subject. You think you've confirmed something, but you just tapped cognition in the table. It's got cognition in it, among other things. And that being decays as the earth retakes it, rotting the wood into nothingness. So you've confirmed nothing. Don't be so certain. These things are are, are much more complicated than you realize. Cognitive science tells us that cognition is both extended and distributed, too. That means that being as an organism, your body parts as a being, extend beyond your flesh, your speech is part of you as an organism, as an extended body part. When you see a psychological complex making you feel sick, you see a cognition, an organism, a form, takes possession of a part of your body. Outside your ego ego's control with this ritual you see a much larger higher order organism in action It's a distributed cognition between all the brains of the people they don't need to be physically connected but All that's needed is a feedback loop for the thought form if you like to communicate with its parts across the brains The ancients were aware of this They these things when if you look at this and you say oh, what are you talking about? It's just subjective all this stuff the ancients understood this When they saw, symbolically, they understood that mind is a microcosm of heaven. So if the spirits are in heaven, they knew that meant they were in mind. They knew that the human mind or being is a microcosm of the wider cosmos. Spirit. Let's just say organism, right, when I say that. But that's what it is. That's what these memes are. Meme complex, if you want to talk about it objectively. And these symbols, the way they saw things actually better articulate what these organisms are. And these symbols were the most efficient means of, and still are, of of understanding these things in an all-encompassing way, the phenomena. That symbolic way of thinking better reveals the phenomena as they manifest. That's where the demons and, angel, and, and angels are, as patterned, or daemons, as Aristotle, as Plato talked about. I'm not talking about... The horror stories I'm talking about meme complexes, thought form, if you like, or psychological complex, but I digress. I'll go on. Before goes our gaze to Westminster Hall, the English stone, an English order is founding dwelling, and the Queen rests in state there. The enemy, the machine corrupts most of England's body, but today, England's spirit has the force to take possession of this whole state apparatus, throughout this, this week-long ceremony, and throw the false gold and filth down on our knees, and when we look at this old stone, and we see that it, retai- it retains the power to tell us truths of English ways. The past is always present to us in our being, and today, all days, across this week, it's unfolding in its strength, what remains of it and so we see charles walk here and an uncanny wind seems to escort him to flow with him it moves the plume of the guardsman's helmet as he reaches it and with the rest of his family to sit this final watch and the guards they point their swords towards the earth in ancient cosmology the point is the tool of order knowledge spirit like i've talked about before. The ground is earth, the nothing, chaos, the nothingness abyss that rises up to take all mortal beings back to its embrace. Men, encased in English equipment here, point the tool of order at the abyss. To say, this monarch lives and we hold you back abyss, because they're still part of our being even if the the body has faded. We hold back this abyss with our spirit, which is the sword, our spirit manifest in the sword. We hold you back, time and earth, while we properly send off this spirit that is in all of us. Only then can you have her, once we have all paid our respect and faced ourselves. The, the coffin is set upon a stone square. In ancient cosmology, stone has four points. The pointy tool cuts a border of points. Order is square, chaos is a circle and round. It is four cutting tools essentially that form a border, a four walled border, a square of stone to hold chaos at bay outside of it. It's the personification of English order. The locus in the monarch laid to rest on the founding square stone, the dwelling of English order. And we see here the English snake into the hall in the line, miles long, many yet one. What drives them here? They mark the cross, they bow, they pay their respects. Notice there's no glass, no rope, no SWAT team placed between the people and the king here. This is no idiot museum display with some empty literalist plot destroying a symbol's true meaning. This is real. This is alive. The people are touching sacreds directly with their being. The coffin, the crown, the cross and the king. History doesn't pass. It's a possession, an organ of your extended being you don't recognize as a part of your body. We have a false story about. Without this organ, nothing would drive these people here in their thousands. Look at them all. Moderns think, oh, it's just a story. But that history in stone is still the English form that shapes, it's got English cognition in it. They are passing through, we are passing through, a historical being that is the grounding and germinator of their own current being. It's imbued with the being that originally placed it. And the being of those who wore down its stone with their footsteps is marked in it. It carries it. It carries the grounding being because English beings ordered it with their being. When you dwell with it, you're inviting its being into your own being. You open it to yourself. And you might not notice that, not propositionally. It's a attunement, it's a mood, which is connected to a knowing. It can lead you to a opening of knowledge. It's almost like the golden thread that can, can uncover things. When you, when you nest or dwell with that attunement. And the English here are directly participating and acting, like we began with cognitive science, we know participatory knowledge, perspectival knowledge, you can't be given with a proposition, they are things, they're modes of being, and they're here and acting and participating in a mode of being. They breathe the same air, unmediated. They stand on the same ancient rock and dwelling place of kings of old. An ancient English people gather here to remark it as their dwelling place. This is ours. Their being stakes, restakes its claim. Baptism means immersion in water, dwelling in holy water. What we're seeing here is a reconsecration, a rebaptism of the English in their own historical being to reground and re-know its true nature. Not propositionally though, I don't mean that propositionally. This is beneath that. Though the enemy corrupts the body, something remains. Something remains that drove them here from their everyday concerns in their lives. This wind, this spirit, what is it? Or rather, who? These people, they pass through their own ancient dispossessed appendage, organ, being, a holy grounding, casting out of the inauthentic, of the liars and the possessors of the apparatus, of the bullshit that the news pushes at us, to open the authentic truth, to touch the truth of the dwelling stone and order that formed who they are today. And that formed our language and all our ways. This is an event that remains closed from modern life closed off from the machine, like all sacreds must be. You can't buy a King's Death experience on Amazon. So when it opens to you, and you accept its call, it realigns your world because it's separate from the mundane and it never comes again. It's showing you what's truly relevant and matters. Sub-propositionally though, it won't immediately become clear. And now we move on from there, and backward again goes our gaze. We come to St. James's Palace in London. We see here the heralds come out and their procedure, their ancient procedure. Where is the authority? There's this quietness, this silence here in St. James's Palace when they make this proclamation. We see too with the grandier Guards as they take their hats off, that lowers them, lowers them for the announcement of the new king. And also these heralds being on the top floor of it, that's the authority and below it is the soldiers, the warriors, it's like the mouth of Sauron, these are, this is the mouth of the organism, it's a herald, it's heralding the organism, this overwind we talked about. The horn is a symbol, has a curve, it is used to muster disorder, to muster the unknown, chaos. Then we see here, the narrative order, the royal standards, they are the walking expression, out expression, in the world, of royal Insignias, which represent the royal way of being, and I won't go into their symbolic meaning. It's a sign of loyalty. And they chant, God save the king. Long live the king. Three cheers for the king. And these are the first things that are said, that must be said, and these things must be said. Because there is a void that appears, and that's what, perhaps, is what this gathering wind I talk of. There's a void that appears when something is removed in the authority. That void is the thing you don't want to collapse in on itself, that anarchy. So, this here is a sign of loyalty. But who is it really that they're loyal to? What is it really that demands our loyalty that has always existed, that is immortal, that has birthed and bred Englishmen, women, thousands of years comes out of this dwelling out of the very land itself what is this thing this wind we also see too we'll jump forward for a second to scotland this modernist hellhole we see disgusting parliament building which is again it's almost the opposite of what we saw before with the palace holding out from the modernism in london and here a modernism parasite building placed in ancient Edinburgh, planted in the middle of the heart of Scotland, and we go inside the Scottish Parliament, quote-unquote, and we see this Charles again in this kilt. Again, he's this strange, archaic thing, walks inside this alien world, and all these suits that are apparently Scots wearing these penguin suits these black suits i don't see a kilt among them yet this king and his tribal guard walk with him into this parliament in this hellhole which doesn't is imbued with nothing that is scotland we don't know what this is this alien spaceship he is almost on another world yet he is more imbued with this scottishness and they there are a few people in kilts that are in the audience but what the hell why are these political leaders on such an occasion not not even representing who they're supposed to be it goes to show where the true nature of the place is and so we come now inside st james's palace we see here black suited penguins and then a man stands in front of them almost some archaic in his double-breasted, with his chain watch and double-breasted, this archaic form comes in front of this Blair, dark little Blair and Sturgeon, these black-suited demons that are standing in front of this King Charles. They await the King's statement, and many of them have worked tirelessly to tear this heirloom away, to throw it in, to, to burn it, if the machine, which possesses them too, this machine, could remove the monarchy. Right now, it would, it's been trying to, for hundreds of years, throw away these things. Modernism's will is to destroy any semblance of inefficient tradition. Technocrat transhumanist elites at their core wish to transcend all earthly bonds and become gods to bow and scrape to no man, and yet we see some of them here. Their progress gods are at odds with allowing this to go on, but what's forcing them, we wonder. I wonder. Why are they here, then? What drives them? The monarchy makes more money than they cost, people might say. That's no explanation. France killed their king, and they make more money on tourism. Ultimately, it's not being subsidised by foreigners, no matter what people say. Blair and Sturgeon here, too, they, they would hate singing God Save the Queen, for this perennialist traditionalist. Yet they sing it. Yet Sturgeon signs the document, Every nature of her being should be in opposition to this, is this Scottish nationalist, modernist. They're not paid to be there. They're not there to get anything tangible from Charles. He's not going to give them any money or position. Blair, anyone at the ceremony, none of them are forced to attend by anything tangible. They're invited. It's voluntary. Sturgeon could have uh, not attended in protest, if that is her conviction. And it is. But she's afraid of something. Can't be Charles, can it, though? He doesn't have any direct power to put her in prison. And even the corrupt royals like Markle and the idiot husband, the deep state, the cosmopolitan transhumanist elite, participating in these rituals if they run contrary to their purposes. What drives a royal warrant to be awarded to English companies to create the steel, the fabrics, the design of the ceremonial equipment in England with English material when they could be made in China? Why is this dragon's hoard of gold spent by us ordered by an unwilling elite when efficiency drives every other walk of life? The second order effects of money and power they want from status aren't explanations either. It's the force that allows those secondary effects I'm talking about, spirit, if you call it, drives very status itself. This threat of what it will do to them if they didn't attend in the case of Sturgeon. We've established it's not Charles these cosmopolitans, they feel a pressure. They feel that they can't get away with not participating and enacting the ritual. And they can't get away with dismantling it here and now. And they want to. They can't get away with not singing the anthem at the ceremony. What is that? Social pressure? And what is underneath the social pressure? The consequences if they don't? And where do those consequences come from? The English people themselves. And what in them, the English people drive them to to enforce such consequences what is that it's that the english know it must be done not as a proposition but underneath that that it feels right which means there is a moral impulsion within sturgeon ultimately fears this impulsion driving public outcry even though she doesn't know what that impulsion is she fears the public outcry on top of it that impulsion is emotive data from the value hierarchy, let's say, in objective terms, which determines what should be done, what should be chosen and rejected. The value hierarchy is constituted by the pantheon of our greatest heroes in the form of one personality. This overwind, this gathering that I have alluded to, overking, let's say, let's call this organism, this overwind, this spirit thing, value hierarchy that drives it all. This organism that is within English people amounts to an implicit distributed cognition, like I've sort of articulated already. What's left of its tendrils are still online and fighting back, and despite efforts to generate parts of this ceremony, this is a very real world example of an organism showing itself to us, enforcing this stuff. We're paying, the state is paying, because the overking that is in all of us is forcing them to. This is his moment every power organ of his body that has been taken from him over the centuries. Despite that, he still fights for us and he and he will demand they and you enact his most ancient spiritual form in the form of these rituals. A last great mighty bellowing of a horn this is. That's what it is. It's a horn to his sons. Here I stand. See me. Bear the silence and look to understand who I am, what we are. He assigns this Charles as a localization of his form. His authority is the resource that drives them to wait before the mortal king. But how is it acting upon them? With what force? Where can we see it? I'm sure you're wondering. The fact that this operates contrary to utilitarian economic motives shows you it is a separate power. Any religion will prove that to you. It's analogous to an economic pressure Divinity and the honor it generates is a sacred resource, you could say. Money gets you to move without compulsion, to fulfill your material wants and needs. The sacred gets you to move because it matters to you in itself. It is what makes mattering possible. It founds what matters. You don't exactly know why it matters, because it's pre-your individualist ideas about what matters, this sacred It doesn't matter because you say it matters, or think, I believe this matters. It matters without your permission because you feel compelled to pay your respects, to watch. Perhaps you feel it's your idea, but it isn't really. You don't get a choice in this mattering, and it drives you to turn up to the ceremony, makes you emotionally move when a hero displays these behaviours that are aligned to this temple's mattering, this temple's founding sacred, honours the monarchy, the sacred, their currency is the power of their mattering to the people and to those who want them. And they still operate in the afterglow of the divinity which founded their worth in the first place. The sacred is at the top of the value hierarchy. It is founded by the temple. Think of this in terms of a primitive pre-religious mentality. This is before value itself as mythology emerged. In the founding of the first temple, when you found the temple, you close off a precinct from the mundane and known. Part of being is closed to general use, closed off, sacred for certain times. It it lifts up out of the landscape, out of chaos, and that's up there. The temple was the highest building back then. Now, modernism, it's become these commercial monstrosities, but the temple, it founds contrast. We see with contrast, we see because of that. With that, you have a pillar which has the highest, and now by contrast, a lowest profane is seen you have then a scale that all other things begin to get sorted into. God at the top. We only see and know anything because of this contrast of value that makes things intelligible. Also, our lifespan is part of that too. And the temple is the gathering place of all these forces. It's of all these purposes, of the funerals, of death and life, of victory and defeat. This is where the philosopher's daemon comes from. This seeing... Yourself in the meta is almost a psychotechnology. You could think of it like that. And it comes out from mythology first. But this is holy. It's a God. You are possessed with the philosopher's demon. It's a gift from God. This meta-meta-ness. This is being itself. We are a void in beings for the placement of being itself. That's what knowledge is. It's, this, it's being itself in us, knowing itself. A second layer. That's holy. That's divine. After the founding, you have this thing in mind beyond one person. For the first time, beyond your animalistic desires, this is top dog, top mattering, value, divine. It is greater than you, it's shared, and it unifies you with the others that have this closed off precinct, which is now also within. It's both external and internal, just like your being is, extended from you. Every time I speak, I'm speaking to you now this is an extension of me and my being is in the world to you everything at its base is behavioral pattern these rituals honors are imbued with the glow of this value hierarchy from from the hierarchy founded by the temple is deep and the unconscious you admire quite against your will that which displays it Ah, oh, the boomers look at them pouting over the monarchy you're not getting it man the organism's still there it's not the idiot mortals you can have false gold in these honorary roles right awarded to non-heroes but it's our job to cast that out and the honour system themselves the rituals can still be used to intuit and disclose they are there to intuit and disclose the behavioral pattern that they are intended to reward and demonstrate that they are intended to display in their design as equipment and procedure and so it's no reason to look at the whole thing and say cast that all down no the organism is that it's cast away the person that's wearing it, or bring someone, bring a Cromwell or an Ar- bring Arthur in to cast those people out and enact this overwind's will. We're becoming more aware of it. We're becoming more. It's in us, when we say, when we rage, that these people betray it. this is no reason to look at the ceremony itself and think that it isn't you, it is you. And if it isn't you, If you have a problem with the money that's spent on it, you have a problem with England and Englishmen themselves. Forget the mortals. The over-king is king. And he is visible in what he's forcing the royals to do, forcing the state to do, despite the machine's greatest efforts to slay him, to hide him from us. And though he is mostly close to our eyes, ignored, he shouts today, hear me, my sons, withstand the silence, hold sway in my tread, in spirit my roar, chosen I speak, to seem by my sight, heed the way's beckoning, or ever no more. Understand Charles is only king if he is enacting the over-king's way. That over-king is the personification of the patterns of action of the greatest heroes. like I said. In you, this way is revealed by the sacred symbols of England, the narrative order, and it's a constant reminder of the king's pattern of action. After the coronation, the hue of this over-king will dissipate, It's our job to search for it, to look into the moral order, to articulate it, and see any perversions of his ceremonies don't stick. To see that the mortal enacts him. Backward goes our gaze again. To where we first began. Back to St. George's Chapel. This temple of the dragon slayer. It's at the end of the story that solidifies the meaning. It's this place of all places that gives form to all we've seen. This is the dwelling place where heroes are lifted, the order of the garter, the values of the dragon slayer, English knights and kings. It's the dwelling spirit we are after to understand the ways. So the queen's coffin is being lowered into the stomach, for the vital force is, into the crypt of the temple. In this dragon slayer's belly, the monarch is put to rest in the place where greatness is raised and refined, where all the highest are knighted based on their imitating of England's greatest heroes. And the story of the Order of the Garter, too, we, we see that it is founded in Arthurian mythos. It comes out of the story of Gawain and the Green Knight itself. We know that the king, I think it was Edward, when he founded the Order of the Garter, is he based it on that. Like English kings of old have always done that. Richard carried a sword that was Excalibur's sword. It's what happened was a garter fell from a woman's leg. Is that all the people around, this, this garter falls from the leg and people ah make fun of it. Again, based on Arthur Mythos, wearing the floor, lifting up the thing that is actually noble. And this is what this king does, this Edward. Lifts it up and says, Nah, today you make fun of this. Tomorrow you will have it high in the hierarchy. Right? Because he's noticed something in it. And he wears it. And that's what the king's supposed to do. The king is supposed to lift up Robin Hood. The king is supposed to do this. As Arthur does with Gwen. He's gone on this quest. He lifts up the floor and wears it. And so does this king with the order of the garter. Where's the garter? And so you can see in the founding story of the order what the king's supposed to do. To lift up the hero that, is, that he notices and admires something in. Because he's an Englishman too. And what is that ultimately? That is the overking. So with that in mind, what is the purpose and function of this whole ceremony then? All of this stuff that's been going on. See it this way as a giant ritual psychotechnology. It also is an organism, like I've said though. Its purpose, the whole ritual's implicit function, is to reveal purpose itself. So a more powerful and authentic future can be forethrown and born into the next era. It does that by using symbols, rituals to articulate, reveal, and call you to see things that are valued. Not propositionally. It's felt. A person is dead. That was a localization for the projection of our common inner value hierarchy. Doesn't mean they always enacted it, but they are the localization for it, which is disembodied, because it's in all of us. This is what that stupid crown series gets wrong. They're not the ideal. They're supposed to lift up and understand it. They wear the overking. They're not the ideal. They are to lift up the ideal and imitate it. The mortal isn't. The overking is. The crown is. And in the felt absence of the localization, what it was connected to And the absence of of the localization which is the body the dead body it's still existentially in you so this severing of the connection between these two parts of being forces you like in a funeral forces us to face that part of our being it forces us to look at it that's what grieving is it's a fear you're forced to face yourself memories come up this same thing occurs when you grieve a relative's death you're forced to face your own being that was shared with them and deeper You are moting to yourself the value of that lost thing and you still have a piece of it in you, which you possess in part, or your existential being that is, else you'd not grieve anything at all. You'd not grieve anything at all if you didn't have this being in you, if it wasn't extended into you, they are extended into you, you are extended into them. Grieving tells you something mattered. Ritual and symbolism and authentic history reveal the specifics of that something, at least an attunement. It's presenting this psychotechnology, this Englishness to you, because in the coming months, the true Englishness, this overkings, this overspirit, must be gathered and asserted in the coronation, not the commentators with their corrupt propositions by the ritual. So ultimately, the ritual's purpose is to help our common being to articulate itself to ourselves. That common being that we try to propagandize away, or they try to propagandize away, that we don't understand, or that we ignore, something the machine doesn't want us to know. It's a cleansing of inauthenticity to disclose what matters, what your common bonds and values are, but not as a proposition. Because at the end of an era, for the organism to renew and go on powerfully, brighter than before, it needs this emotional power of the loss of a person and a funeral to call you to yourself which is also part of it, to call England to its own most authentic, valued way of being. It is a gathering of the organism, expressed in the ritual, so you notice its parts and it mediates them to you. The symbols do if you examine them, and you feel it in emotion, which evidences its parts that are already in you. It's not properly rendered into propositions, and don't listen to the the people that do, by those who talk of English values on the news, nor most of the time by how the monarch is said to have behaved or behaves. This stoicism. These idiots that go on the news and say, oh, these are the values. Shut up. The rituals will reveal them. Tell us where you got that from. Tell us what, 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 what that's based upon. Give us something, at least. Then maybe that might be right. The specific picture is made more clear as the coronation is led to. And the sacred symbols further show the ideal ways. And the narrative order, like I said, if you examine Arthur, Robin, the narrative order, our greatest heroes. Nelson, it's showing you parts of its being. You you examine yourself when you find you admire someone. What was that thing I admired? That's usually something shared. That is Englishness itself. To start a new era after the coronation with a true authentic way of being made more clear means you are enacting this organism's will, English purpose, or more its ways. Not because you can't Ego-wise, this organism is an individual. It's not liberal like that. It's not Rousseauian. This will become clearer with the people, too, in their personal lives as they speak of their experience of the events to each other at the pub, at the chippy, as they notice things in each other leading up to the coronation. It's not. It's below the propositional. This noticing is the expectation of the overking or distributed cognition or value hierarchy or thought form, whatever you want to call it, how that mortal king is supposed to behave after he's crowned with his spirit. The whole thing is an opportunity for all of us, for the mortal king to understand what the spirit of England is, this overking. And for us to understand so we might enact it, drive him to conform to it in imitation. It's hero worship. We've stopped doing this in this day and age, looking to the greatness and saying, what was it that they had? How do I enact the things to make me like that? And the beauty of this ritual is that it works supra. You could call it supra, but sub-propositional. Thinking isn't so much the diarrhea of voice in your head. It's that silence of examining and asking questions and waiting. Understanding getting an intuitive grasp of something. It's before your brain makes it a proposition. The propagandists don't speak this language. They speak in calculations. And this is the way all ancient traditions have avoided... The iconoclasm, this ritual, right? Because they, it's easy to, to pick out a proposition, that's what it is, but you, you can't, it's hard to see it in symbols. The communications are buried in the ritual, in the folklore, in the narrative order. And they're implied, enfolded in the symbolism. And symbolism is this thing speaking, it's, it's the transcendent speaking. Like we speak words, that's the transcendent speaking in facticity. And that stuff, the new ruling orders don't realize hides a sacred fire. And you can see its movement. You can see its outline. It still survives. Now, with all this in mind, when I look at all of it, I'm going to try speak for this thing. I'm going to try mediate what it would say, what it is saying in all of this. And I'm going to let just bear with me. I address you now through this mortal, Scott, as he speaks these words which I drive him to speak and open some of my being to you, however imperfectly. And though you cannot see my form, understand that I am a millennia old. I am beyond a will. Seeing me is the clearing of an old overgrown path or a thick ancient forest. I am that English path and way, my English. I have been called many names before by you. Henry, Elizabeth, Richard, Nelson, Drake, Robin, even Thor. But it is Arthur, Overking, who is the clearest gathering of my form. They have corrupted my body, cut off my limbs. They have hidden me from you. Yet I still remain, for a century, they have gnawed my flesh, your flesh, and sapped our vital force. They will me torn from you to sunder your power to resist, all the easier to enslave. But I am not so easily removed. I am not so easily waylaid. My riverbed is carved deep in the land, deep in England, and deep in you. These filthy Hellenistic parasites with their pestilent black mirrors, idle entertainments and tranquilizer chemicals of the beasts, they will not extinguish me. Like I move this mortal, and he does his best to speak for me, with what remains of my power, I force our enemies in this state to move in this time of transition, and in the same way, through extended cognition, I move you. I am the reason you take interest, I am the reason you watch this video, I am the reason you care about a monarchy, I am primordial care itself. primordial value hierarchy that makes care possible. Despite the enemy's hate of my form, I possess the state apparatus in this week and this moment leading up to the coronation, and I force them to enact my ancient body. I am these rituals. They express my spirit. And is this not true, my English? A spirit needs a body to gather and this is the mortal Charles's function. Be the gathering point of my being. From you to him and him to you. Be a manifestation of my form. He is only me, your king, insofar as he manifests, articulates, and enacts and imitates my form. Only then is he king of England. Only then is he your king. How can he be my form if he is dependent to incompatible gods of far off lands? This is not your king. I am your king. I am his king. I am overking by divine right through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is my land for my people. You are mine, English. Remember this. Only if Charles follows me and our Lord Jesus Christ is he king of England. It is not for them, nor this mortal, to pervert, to distort, to disobey my form. No matter what horrors they perpetuate, my people, I live as inspired fire. I am your fire. I'll defend you in the mortal plane. I'll be your shield. I'll be your sword. I'll protect the kingdom. I'll protect you through you. Whilst one Englishman draws breath and speaks my resistance, I live. (whistles) Dare greatly to believe and God save the overking.